So uh, coming into Second Chronicles and chapter 29 and looking today at another historical account of covenant uh, renewal, though we'll see this one is quite different from the other ten, the other nine uh, which are recorded uh, in the Old Testament. So our, our nation at this time uh, is in mourning for the, the loss of, of Queen Elizabeth II, who uh, Boris Johnston is calling Elizabeth the Great. And many tributes uh, are being uh, made uh, to her and to her humour, to her kindness, uh, to to qualities uh, which were admirable uh, in her. And it is good for us uh, in coming to to think of that, to to keep a a balance uh, in our thoughts uh, and reflections uh, throughout this week uh, and at this time in our lives. Uh, And as we've come to this weekend, we've considered the children and we've considered fellowship and we've considered testimonies and people's lives and all of this helps us to keep a balance in our thinking and in our outlook in these days. And this chapter in God's providence, the sermon was organised for, for, for once, was written a number of weeks ago, it is useful for us in giving us a good balance and perspective in our lives at this time. Because in this chapter, there is a nation in mourning. And this really helps us as we enter uh, this week in the United Kingdom. Now, this nation here is not mourning that the loss of a leader, though a leader has just just passed Hezekiah's father. This nation is mourning for sin and for their rejection of God and them shutting down the church doors. And, and, and this is kind of the, the thought that, that we should be holding in our minds in this week, that here is, is our nation, the United Kingdom, and, and everyone has very quickly, at the drop of a hat, entered into mourning for the loss of our Queen. But our nation has not entered mourning for offending our king. We're really quick to to mourn the death of Elizabeth, but we're not quick to mourn the sin against King Jesus. And that is a perspective to, to have in this week. As we reflect on, on the, the events of this week, that Second Chronicles 29 gives us insight into to how we would really love our nation to be. It's right to mourn the loss of a, a beloved leader and to, to enter into the, 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 the effect of that on the nation. But there is something more that we want for ourselves and, and for the United Kingdom. It's a turning again unto God. So we're coming to our, our fourth uh, study in, in covenant renewal. And, and each one is different, aren't they? We, we thought of covenant renewal as a formal commitment in the end of Joshua. We thought of covenant renewal as a response to grace in King Asa, God giving them that tremendous victory. They had half the number of soldiers, but they defeated the other army. God's grace to them, and they responded to that. 
with dedicating themselves to God. And as we come next Sabbath morning to, to sign the, the covenant, we, we will come as a response to the grace of God uh, towards us. Last time we thought of a, a new beginning uh, with Josiah, that, that young king, and it was a new beginning, a fresh start, turning over a, a new leaf. And, and the, there was a, a great change, a new start in that reign. And today we come to think of this, this fourth idea of covenant renewal as we spoke to the children, an act of repentance. And for some of us, that, that might be the dominant element in covenant renewal, that there's something in our life that we've wrestled with and struggled with. And, and by God's grace, this is going to be the turning point for us that, that we are going to, to once and for all put, put this behind us and it will be a, a particular act of repentance as it was for this, this nation here. We, we want to think of, of three, three points uh, today. We want to think of the, the obstacles to covenant renewal of repentance for Hezekiah. We want to think of the motivation of, of covenant renewal for him. Uh, and then we want to think thirdly of the essence of covenant renewal of repentance for the, the nation at that time. Thinking firstly then of the obstacles, what kind of things uh, would have kept Hezekiah back? And, and I remind you of verse number 10 uh, of the language used uh, by Hezekiah uh, as, as he focuses here and says, It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. And what might have kept him back from that? And what could keep us back from covenant renewal, from a full-blown commitment to Christ, a full desire with all our hearts that we want to walk his ways, that we want to follow him all our days with all our hearts. What will keep us back? What challenges, battles will we face to go down that road of full commitment to Jesus Christ? Well, there were two main influences in Hezekiah's experience, weren't there? One was peer pressure. The, the writer here is, is brilliant, you know, and often in Chronicles there, there are these phrases which are echoed and set up in contrast to one another. And we have this here in this 29th chapter. We have in verse number three that in the first year of his reign, in the first month of his reign, this is in 715 BC, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. What, what a moment, or you might say, well, oh, what, so what, we do that every week. Uh, what's significant about opening the doors of the house of the Lord? Well, verse 7, the echo, the opposite of that, this is referring to uh, the time of his father's reign, they shut the doors of the house of the Lord. So in his father's reign, there was this decision taken that God was irrelevant We'll find our power and our influence and our religion in the other gods which are worshipped in Palestine and beyond. We don't need God anymore. And they shut the doors of the house of the Lord. And that was the predominant view among the statesmen, among the cronies and courtiers of the king. They didn't need God and they shut the doors of the house of the Lord. Hezekiah. You had to stand up against that, to go against the tide, 
that decision taken by his father, that, that prevalent view within Judah that God was irrelevant. What a moment it was to pull open those large oak doors, not only hearing them creaking, seeing the, the temple being opened up again, but the courage involved in this to go against the prevalent notion of his time. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord. There was pressure on him from society to leave them shut, to adopt the other gods which his father had adopted and, and the courtiers of, of, of the palace. But he goes against this and he says, in my heart, I intend to make a covenant with the Lord. But the second influence uh, on him uh, was the influence of his family. Now, uh, the sharp-eyed among you uh, will say, well, you know, here it says uh, at the beginning of this chapter that in verse number one, that he reigned for 29 years. And you say, well, well, I have been reading in Kings and it says that he reigned for 43 years. And, and, you know, the liberals love this. Here's a contradiction in the Bible. In Chronicles, it says he reigned for 29 years. In Kings, it says he reigned for 43 years. There you go. You can't trust the Bible. It's, it's full of inaccuracies. But, but with a little research and a little study, you will discover that Hezekiah ruled on his own for 29 years. But he ruled as a co-regent with his father for the previous 14 years. So from 729 BC, he was co-regent with his aging father and then he took over in 715 BC and, and ruled on his own for 29 years. But you think of the influence of his father's policies and decisions and courtiers that, that was pressing down on Hezekiah as he sat down at the, the big oak table in the stateroom to, to make decisions, sitting at the, the right hand of his father as, as the heir apparent. And his father signing that decree to close the doors of the house of the Lord and to adopt the other gods of Palestine and the nations around them. You think of the direction of his father, which his son witnessed and saw and was silent in the presence of. And then when it came his turn, when he took on the crown and sat on the throne in the very first month, the first year of his reign, he broke from the influence and example and pressure of his family and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. What a moment that was. What grace in his heart as he did that. And we, we think today of you know, how will the royal family be affected with the, 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 the restraining influence which the Queen had in many aspects of her family. Will, will that be very evident that, that she, she has moved on? And here is Hezekiah and the, the, the bad influence within his family. He breaks from and he makes a covenant with the Lord. And as we come to covenant renewal, there's all these pressures in, in our society and perhaps in some of our families to keep us back from committing ourselves 
to the Lord. The language within the covenant document, which I'm sure you've read and studied and pondered over, commits us to the kingship of Christ in the areas of sexuality and gender and identity and marriage and the Sabbath day. And in all of those areas, there's pressure on us to move away from Christ's ways. And in this covenant renewal document, what we're seeking to give ourselves to Christ and his ethics, values and principles. In most buildings now, it's hard to find male and female toilets, isn't it? Because gender views have been altered by our society and, and it's been imposed on us. Down, down in Port Rush today, there's thousands of holidaymakers there who, who had booked their holiday to, to witness the air show on the Sabbath day. And within our society, there's massive pressure on us, as Ruth was saying, to, to compromise our view of keeping God's day special. Here was Hezekiah, and he was facing those pressures to hold back, to not give us all, to compromise in his life that was coming from his peers, that was coming from his family. And so you're asking there, you're asking, how did he get over this? How did he conquer these hurdles which were up against him? And this is our, our second point. What motivated him to go ahead with opening the doors of the house of God and committing in covenant to God? And, and the answer, the answer is, uh, and if I asked the children, they would probably give this answer because they usually give this answer to, to a lot of questions. They would say, it was God. And in this case, they would be absolutely right that, that Hezekiah had an understanding of God which surpassed the influence of his father and the threats and the power and the authority and the views of his peers. God loomed far greater in his mind and heart than anything society was saying or standing for. And it was this that was the great driver in Hezekiah's covenant renewal. The glory, the majesty, the greatness of God. And he felt it. And there's two aspects of God, two attributes of God which are highlighted in this chapter for us. The first is God's wrath. You see this in verse number 10 and then verse number 9. In verse number 10, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Hezekiah rightly understood that shutting the church doors, neglecting God, turning away from him to other gods, incurred God's chastening anger against his people, that they were going down the wrong track and would receive chastening from God. Hezekiah had witnessed God's wrath in his lifetime. In 722, as he was co-regent with his father, the northern kingdom of Palestine, of Israel, was taken captive by the Assyrians. And you can imagine Hezekiah in the court of, of his father Ahaz and, and messengers rushing in breathless who have run down from the northern kingdom to tell them Israel has fallen. 
They've been carried away captive into Assyria. And Hezekiah knows that this is far more than the skill and expertise of the Assyrians. That There's a vertical dimension to what's going on here. God, the covenant God of, of Israel, is angry with the idolatry and immorality of his people. Here's a chastening hand of God upon them. And this is one driver for Hezekiah. He knows that if the nation goes on in this way, with the, the church doors shut, with, with godlessness prevalent, then God's judgment will be upon them. And it's moving him. To give his heart and life and all to God. He records the judgment of God in, in, in Judah as well. And uh, we see different nations uh, coming against uh, Judah in verse 5 of chapter 28. Uh, the king of Syria comes uh, against Judah with some success. In verse 17 and 18, Edom and the Philistines have come against Judah uh, with some success. And also Assyria, in verse number 20, has begun to afflict Judah. And Hezekiah sees this pattern and recognises that God in heaven is moving and chastening action against his church through Assyria, through Edom, through the Philistines. And this is one motivation to him to come to God in repentance and dedication, turning away, changing, going in a new direction, that bounce of the ball, that alteration in behaviour. He says it in verse 10 <coughs> in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. The other attribute of God which is, is driving him or, or perhaps sucking him, pulling him towards God in commitment and dedication is God's love and mercy. In verse 9 of chapter 30, Hezekiah recognizes that if we return to the Lord, he will return unto us. He says in that verse 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Not only has he this appreciation of, of God's chastening, which he's witnessed in the captivity of the, the northern kingdom and, and Edom, Philistines, Assyria coming against Judah, but he also recognizes the compassion, the mercy, the forgiveness of God that if they come back to God... He will receive them and forgive them and bless them and transform their lives. And these two things are, are driving Hezekiah. The wrath of God, the chastening of God on his church. And the love and mercy and compassion of God for the repentant. Long before Jesus spoke of the prodigal son or the tax collector up in the temple, Hezekiah grasped this as we come back to God. God will receive us and change us. I, I don't know, parents, what you said to your kids coming up this weekend, but we warned our children to be in their best behaviour. I, I don't know if they've lived up to that. Uh, they probably have, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So that, that's maybe been a driver, this, this warning 
to be at their best behaviour. And it is an element in our life and within scripture. That the chastening of God on his wayward people. We, we have this in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Jesus coming to churches in Asia. And in some of them he's saying, now you have drifted away from me in these certain areas. You need to repent or I will remove your witness from your city. As we come in covenant renewal and look at our lives and reflect on our behaviour, this has got to be a dimension to us. We were reading at communion last week about those who, who were irreverent with the elements and with thinking of Christ and his ways. And the apostle says, some of you are sick and weak because of your behaviour. But alongside of the the, the, the chasing of God, we think of the love of God, the welcome of God, and how that draws us to God on a very low and shallow level. That's been one aspect of, of the Queen that has, has come out in these recent days, her kindness and compassion, farmers uh, around her, her vicinity in, in, in England uh, at the foot and, foot and mouth were helped by her, received phone calls from her, received Cattle donated to them to, to reinvigorate their herds. Once again, uh, a girl who'd gained the, the Queen's badge in, in GB remembers standing at the very end of a long line and the Queen took her time to speak to every single one of them in that long line. That love, that compassion, that mercy was something which, which drew us to her uh, and how much greater... Are we drawn to our God who has loved us supremely in his son, Jesus Christ? As Hezekiah came in covenant renewal, what pull, pulled him over those pressures on him to, to hold back, to compromise, to go with the crowd? It was God, God in his love, God in his righteousness. Then lastly, uh, the essence of covenant renewal. Uh, and this is our, our verse here, verse 10. It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. Now, I, I was going to offer a, a massive prize to anyone who could find the covenant renewal ceremony in this chapter. But it would have been a cruel offer because it's not found uh, in the chapter uh, it's different then from Joshua, it's different from Asa, it's different from Josiah and, and the one we'll think of next week where there is a, an actual covenant renewal ceremony. Here we only have this verse 10, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. Now some commentators say it never actually happened. But, but I think it did. It happened in the change which took place in the altar opening up of the house of God and the establishment of the worship as determined by King David back in Samuel and then in Chronicles. But it makes an important point, isn't it? That the actual ceremony of covenant renewal is not the main thing. The signing of the document is not the main thing for us. It's the change in our heart, the change in our life. Jack and I are trying to learn chess. I bought a board, bought a book uh, uh, on chess. And in this book, uh, it, it emphasizes 
the, the, the strategic positioning of the pieces and at the very centre of the board there are four squares what's it talking about spatial superiority and you have to try and try, try and get these four squares if you can dominate them you, you will dominate a large section of the board and then be able to attack down at the king the very heart of the chessboard will determine all that's going on around and our very heart. See the, the words of, of Hezekiah here. It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. His love, his mind, his desire, his will. It, it was right in here. It wasn't something that began externally. It was in his heart. And all the changes that he made within his reign emanated and flowed from that love, that Humility, that fear, that reverence, that devotion for God. Maybe you'll not sign the document next week. You'll maybe think, well, I, I don't agree with that wording there. or uh, I, I don't know how you can agree with it, but anyway, you can talk to me about that. But the main thing is that all of us are involved in this covenant renewal opportunity. That parents take time to talk to their children in this week about what's happening and as a family you come to church next Sabbath day with this understanding that as a family you're recommitting yourself to God and to his way the public aspect of it helps us in our private and, and personal commitment to God but that together members, adherents, children we come together everyone to recommit ourselves to God and to his ways. This week it's going to be dominated by the preparations for, for the funeral of, of Queen Elizabeth and, and perhaps that could take our mind off the covenant renewal ceremony next Sabbath day. But I think we could, we could use this to really help us and strengthen our covenant renewal commitment. It's not every day that such attention is given to the end of someone's life, is it? It's not every day that, that someone's funeral is, is put on our television, is it? It's not every day of the week that we're reminded in the media of our mortality and that our life too will come to an end. That there will come the moment when we have no more opportunity to serve our Saviour. And so I think in this week, rather than it being a distraction from our full-blown, wholehearted rededication of ourselves to Christ, this week could be used by us. To remind us that our end also will come. And this is an opportunity for us to, to put our life in order and our families in order once again. And recommit ourselves to Jesus Christ. If I can return to my book review. I mean, you don't have the opportunity to do that. But uh, one of the points I, I omitted was, was a phrase which... Uh, became associated uh, with, with R.C. Sproul, who, who gave us all for Christ. His phrase was, right now is forever. And what a phrase it is. 
And what we, we are doing now, is, as Ruth was saying to us, has massive implications in our experience into the future. Right now, it's forever. So we can utilise the, the events of this week to sober us, to refocus us, and prepare us for committing ourselves to the Lord.